Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Well, Farzi, there's only one thing I can ask you after missing two games on the weekend up in the Sioux, and that is, how was the spread? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe. Like, I, I get it. I made the joke to you, I think, before I even left, and I'm positive I made it on the air. You, you took the option like Pete DeBoer used to take when he was the head coach and GM of the Kitchener Rangers. We'd go up to, the, for whatever reason, at that time of the uh, OHL Rangers life, there was always a road trip to the Sioux for the last weekend or the next to last weekend of the season. And Pete DeBoer would towards the end of his time there, he's like, I'm not going, I got scouting to do whatever. It was a running joke. Uh-huh. And then, and then spotter did the same thing. He picked up or continued that tradition, took the option. We called it. Uh, but for you and, and for guys like us who get the opportunity, Oh my goodness, the spread there. Let me just, I'll just say this and then leave it. I thought it was good on Friday on Saturday. Cause there were the back-to-back games ribs, ribs. media room, ribs Popey, like unreal and unreal. there's some teams around the league where we get pizza <laughs> and the it's... Sioux is dropping ribs ribs that's a that's a message to 19 other franchises conrad hashi are you listening get some ribs what a day you had that's all right it was it was chicken fingers and mushroom caps and that salad that we oh. both love on Friday, and I think, and this is this is good living. And then yeah. Saturday, they just step it up another notch with the ribs. Of course, the soup ladies were there, and they are lovely as ever, making sure we're all taken care of. And we needed that soup on Saturday, let me tell you, because holy hell, was it cold up in the Sioux? Although I understand it was no picnic down these parts with the wind chill either. No, it was not fun. I'll tell you that. Well, so I was well, outside. <laughs> well, you made a poor life choices. I was yeah, in I the guess. Sioux. I, you know. um, while we're on that that front, and because I, 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 I gave this a lot of thought, and obviously I had a lot of time to consider it, especially with the eight-hour bus ride home. And we listen, we got to talk about uh, Todd Miller and Luke Cavillan here before we get to our guest, and we will do that. But it, it really occurred to me, Chris, and, and you know this from when we go up to the Sioux, and I, I'm not trying to put other 19 other teams on notice because I think there are a lot of teams uh, in the Ontario Hockey League, including the one that, that we cover most closely, that are really well run. They really are. I, I like what Jim Waters is doing in Erie. I, I, I like, anyway, without getting into it, it making them all individual. But Sault Ste. Marie, we love to complain about insofar as it's the longest trip, right? And then, of course, you hear people in the dub and people in the queue and, and the Sioux themselves saying, you want to talk about travel? Look what we have to do for travel. Like, it is so easy here in the O. It's so ridiculously easy for those of us in the Midwest division because there's hardly anywhere. Like we have a 20 minute trip that we do four times a year with the Guelph storm. It's just, it's ridiculous. So put all that, but then you start thinking about it from the Sioux's perspective, right? 48, 48 overnights that that team made this year or will make this year. They are, as we record this 48, 48 times they're, they're in a hotel. Right. Think about that. That's crazy. 
they they are in the midst, and this is going to add up that number. So things are a little bit different this year, but they they've got a a schedule this week that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. I should have checked. Anyway, they're away for three games. They're, sorry, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. That's how it's going to go. Or Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. One or the other. They're leaving on Tuesday. I should have looked this up ahead of time. But the point is, they're leaving go. on Tuesday. They're not home till Sunday. It's an Ontario Hockey League team. That sort of thing yeah. just doesn't happen. Right? We just had such a quote-unquote long trip because we went to the one city that's farthest away but stayed for two games. Like just So, you know, off they go on Tuesday so they don't have to travel on day of game, which is Wednesday. They've got to cross the border and go through all the COVID testing and whatnot. They're going to stay across, and I think Saginaw is going to be the, the end of this trip, and then they they boot it back home, and or Sardinia is going to be the end of it, whatever it's going to be. But there they go. So from Tuesday to Sunday, they're on the road again. And in light of what we talked about last week, with, with the problems, unfortunately, going on again in Flint, I, I'm hearing really good things about owner Rolf Nilsson, whether you know it was just too much love for his own kid and getting into the problems early on when he got his suspension, but now with Terry Christensen, it's just not such a, a great look. And so we talked about that and the, and the issues that maybe owners are, are causing or an owner might be causing, although I've heard good things about Rolf as a, as a person and as an owner taking care of people. But if, if, the, owner, if the ownership group in the suit, and, and primarily it's the, the original owner's son that continues to run this, if he can run his franchise like he does, and I mean, how it can't, it's got to be one of the most expensive franchises to run with all of that travel, all I of those so. nights away, the bus trips, the meals, etc. But then you go into the organization and you get ribs in the media room and you talk to the staff like Jay, their head trainer, is just an absolute beauty of human. Our friend Jerry, who's on the media side, like take your pick, top to bottom. They seven, seven months, Chris, seven months of of furlough of of out of office. Uh, during COVID, not one person missed a paycheck. Not one person missed a paycheck. They kept paying them all the way through. And here we are back on the other side dealing with all of this stuff and they just keep chugging along. And oh yeah, by the way, they're like in smelling distance of first place in the West. I, I'm I'm impressed as hell. And I think if if the Sioux and its owner can run that franchise that way, why is any other franchise not being run professionally? I guess different people, but holy cow, I am impressed with that place. They do a great job. They do. <clears throat> Top to bottom, everyone. And I love that everyone still got a paycheck because that wasn't the case across the league. I'll tell you that for free. For sure. Um, it, <clears throat> you mentioned Rolf. And listen, he, he, his family was involved when he took over the team. I give everyone anyone a break when it comes to family. Okay, you're going to act a certain way. You're probably not going to be the best team owner when your son's on the team. but. And you know what? He may be helping people out. Maybe he's a good owner. I'm sure he's a great person. And I'm sure, you know, his son thinks of him as a great father. But to bring back Terry Christensen in first place, and then for this incident to go down, and then for you to wait for the league to expel him. Why do why did we have to wait for the league? That's where I don't like what Rolf did. If that's happening in your franchise and you know about it fire him and fire him on the spot and then come out publicly and say, we have relieved him of his duties. This is why the league is investigating further. 
if they need to. But I, I don't think they should have left it up to the league. You can't do what he apparently did and, and said and still expect to have a spot in this league. Like, I, I don't know how you want to know why other teams don't do it because the Sioux wouldn't let that happen. Well, they, they did have an incident and then they got rid of John Van Beesbrook. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I, I looked, I didn't mean to be rude while you were talking, but I should That's have okay. really done a better job. Wednesday in Sarnia, Friday in Flint, Saturday in SAG is the Sioux trip this week. But just to, to finish your point, And again, I'm not trying, like we've, the Firebirds have had enough, um, huh. off ice trouble and and we've talked about them enough and look credit to the kids by the way can I just say that credit to the kids credit to Ted Dent and keeping those kids focused because they went out the day or the day after it happened and won a big game against the London Knights like they're still ticking right along and I'm happy I, I want the kids to to you know have positive experiences in this league but yeah I, when you they probably when you, got a boost from that because they were happy to see him leave yeah uh, I I <laughs> that's probably not far off the mark based on some of what uh, I've been hearing since this all went down. So again, I I'm not trying to, to pick on any one owner. I just, if, if you can do it and do it so well in the Sioux, which I would assume is the most expensive place to have to do it, given all of the things associated with the travel and whatnot, then I think you can do it anywhere. Like why isn't every team? It's just so well run. It's just so well run. So credit, Credit to the team up in the suit doing what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. I think it's impressive as hell. I think it's great. Uh, speaking of Flint, did you see the goalie fight? <laughs> okay, you want to do Cavalin now or you want to do... Okay, we'll do Cavalin. No, I just like... It was Let's, a good segue. Um, y- yes. So I, I first... Yes, I did like the goalie fight. And and yes, I'm liking fighting more and more. It must be... I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm living vicariously through people that get to punch people because sometimes I think I want to punch people through my radio box. But anyway... Did you just say that you wanted to punch me? No, not you. Oh. You're, I could actually punch you. you yeah, so. Go for it. <laughs> You're giving up a couple inches and a few pounds. The first thing that I had seen was that, oh, Luke Cavillan is going to be facing a suspension or a likely suspension uh, because he was the instigator. <laughs> he got five for fighting and a game misconduct uh, towards the end of Flint's win over the Guelph Storm. And so I'm like, oh, OK, this is this is pretty interesting. And so I'm just kind of goofing off on Twitter. Oh, you know, he stops pucks too. But then I saw the video and I'm sorry, but I am completely and 100% on team Luke Cavillan in this because I don't know what Chase Coughlin of the Gulf Storm thought he was doing, but there's a big hit. I get it. That's going to create a little bit of emotion on the ice, but you've got four guys squared off and kind of locked up with one another, two from Flint, two from Guelph. And then there's Chase Coughlin kind of on the outside of, that foursome and he's throwing these little jabs with his glove on i'm like what are you doing <laughs> and then all of a sudden luke cavillan clearly thinking the same thing comes in and ragdolls him i'm like well good for you luke because i don't like what chase coglin was doing at all cavillan now has been suspended two games coglin's gonna play i i'm not sure i buy that but that's the way it goes yeah he gets the two games for the instigating i'm assuming Probably. Yeah. yeah. And then the fighting, it was a three goal game too. So I think that factors into the whole Is it, I, fighting at that stage of the game in a, in a quote unquote blowout. So I'm all for trying to get the stage fighting out of the game, but all these little rules with if, if it's more than a four goal lead. And if it's in the final, get rid of it. Um, I, I saw the video. I, I love it. 
I, I've said on air multiple times, I cannot stand the new game where every time there's a scrum, guys are just sitting there with their gloves on throwing punches. It's not the UFC. It's not boxing. Drop your gloves and have a fight or get out of there. One or two shots, sure, I get it. But like to sit there and just constantly throw bombs wearing a hockey glove, you look like a weird, you look like a loser. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and everyone does it. So it's not just him. Literally to a player, every player does it. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know what, we haven't seen a goalie fight in a while. And there, there's been goalies in this league in the past that, you know, loved to fight. We just talked to, we were talking about the Parson Brothers on this podcast, but Mike used to love to fight. Uh, Andrew Penner used to love to fight. Another goalie, we had Adam Dennis talk about his fight with Justin Peters. You know, Luke Cavillan just goes out. He it was there was two, four guys tied up, and then Coglin was taking shots. So he, I, I love the video just because he ragdolled him, pulls him down to the ground, and he's just kind of standing looking around. Is anybody, anybody else going to do this? Am I the yeah. only one? Yeah. And Coglin's still on the edge, just still holding him. Like he's <laughs> so strong, he's just like I don't care. I'll just hold you here. And then he looks around, he waits and waits. He goes, "Well, I guess I'm going." <laughs> It was awesome. I loved it. I really did. And you could you could tell that Cavalier did too. After like, you, I think it might have been on his like you know checklist. Like, I want to get in a goalie fight at one day. Every goalie does, but you could see the little smirk on his face when he's standing there afterwards. So I, I'm sure he liked it. You talk about the way that this game is played to a person with the whole you know you're either going to fight or get out of there, and and it's not the getting out of there, and it's not the fighting either. It's just all this. The silliness. Paul Stewart, the referee from the National Hockey League, I'm sure you remember well too, used to go into scrums like that and tell the guys flat out, if you're going to do this, you're going to go. And if, if, if you're not going to go, then stop doing this. This is not the way we're going to play this game. Yeah. I, oh, I would love to hear that happen again. Like it's just, it, it's, yeah. Drop it's the gloves, get it out of your system and move on. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The uh, Oshawa Generals, another franchise that we have talked about an awful lot in on this podcast and over the years a a proud franchise great tradition really well run big fan of roger hunt their general manager there who had to do what i don't think anybody likes doing but they've parted ways and moved on from todd miller interesting timing on this i thought hopey because uh it it came with 15 games to go in the season i look you can't deny that the gens were struggling one regulation win in 12 seven straight losses uh, you look at the the offensive production from some of their big players pre and then post Christmas break and things were dropping off rather precipitously. So whatever it was. And, and again, when it comes to Todd Miller, I've not heard anything but good things about him as a coach. So whatever messages he was delivering now, were just falling flat, but the gens have decided that they're just going to go uh, without a head coach and, uh, Foster and, and Hedden are going to step in as, as the coaches. Now the assistants are just going to sort of elevate and take over the team the rest of the way, but an interesting decision on the part of the gents to part company with Todd Miller, 15 games to go in the season. Yeah. Very head scratching. I'll call it. Um, Todd Miller was hired in July of 2021 and, you know, fired already. And as you said, weird timing, like 15 games left and, a Jens team that I think is doing pretty good this year, like decent enough. And then, yeah, they were struggling, but you just hired them. Like don't, if you hire a coach in the OHL, don't you at least give them one cycle? I I think, you know, but yeah. obviously Roger Hunt expects something different or I, I honestly believe it, it in reading the comments, it almost sounded like 
just a difference of the style that they wanted to play or like Roger thought maybe we should be playing a little more offensive and opening up and Todd was playing the trap or vice versa kind of thing. I haven't seen a Jens game this year, but just from those comments, maybe, and maybe I'm just overstepping, but I think, I think that's kind of what it screamed out to be. And I think Roger being Roger said, I'm not going to go through a cycle with this. I'll find someone that, you know, views the game or wants what I want kind of thing. But Todd Miller was an assistant in Barry for a decade. He's been around this league. Um, I'm sure he'll land on his feet, but yeah, very right before the outdoor game, like everything. I know. Was, like just there's the timing was, but I know, but so part, part of me, like part of me believes, did it need to happen? Was there something, was there a big blow up or was, what was there multiple blow ups or was there something that he had to do it? Because it's just a very weird time to do it. Well, and to be honest with you, and again, having no inside knowledge on this, so maybe I should have snooped around a little bit more first, but that's one of the reasons I, I like it. If And I say that, I should acknowledge, I hate it when coaches get fired. I hate it yeah. when coaches get fired. But obviously, the, the Gens decided, like, for whatever reason, we're going to move in a different direction, so why waste any time? Why even spend the next 15 games of this season with the direction that we don't want to head ultimately. So it's over. We're done. We're cutting ties right now, whether it's now, whether it's 15 games and a, and a playoff run from, it doesn't matter. Like that, that part of it, I kind of, as much as I hate seeing coaches get fired, I like the decisiveness of this move at this time. Cause clearly the gens want to be moving in a different direction or want to have a different voice. So they're not wasting time doing it. Yeah. Kim, I just want to point out again, he was just hired, right? Greg yeah. Walters left. Like they didn't bring back Greg Walters cause they didn't like him. So they hire this guy, go through the process again. This isn't, you know, Tom's warriors who, you know, have been in the league for two years. This is the Oshawa generals, right? So imagine the long list of people that would have applied for that job. Mark Savard, the head coach in Windsor, one of the best generals of all time was in the final hiring, like in the final meetings, he was up for that job and they picked Todd Miller out of that entire group. And then what? Nine months later, they've changed their mind. Yeah. Weren't you it's pumping a, Eric Wellwood, former guest on this podcast, his tires for that yeah. job too. Yeah. Maybe That's it happens an, now. I thought that was a gimme. That was a tap in. I thought, but I don't know if he would come back from the East coast now. He's, he's in the coast coaching. Uh, yeah, that that w- that was a weird one for sure, very weird. And and maybe in in that context too, uh, it's an admission of a of a mistake. If that's the yeah. decision you made, and you know, obviously, as as Savvy told us on this podcast, that he was in the running and you know down to the final list of who, however many there were for that Jen's job, and it ultimately goes to Todd Miller. And nine months later, it's no longer. So yeah. if if this sort of thing happened uh, in Oshawa a lot. I suppose we'd look at this differently, but as we said at the outset, really well-run organization. We got, you know, nothing but good things you hear around the league about being in Oshawa and how things are run. So clearly they have uh, changed their mind, but Todd Miller's on the outside now looking in. Uh, Generals playing at the time of this recording in the outdoor game in Hamilton. Quick stick tap to gold medalist Sarah Nurse, who showed up at the game and she's wearing her brother Isaac's Hamilton Bulldog jersey. Awesome. That girl is awesome. So good. You were, so I, I'm wondering, I'm glad they're playing the night game yeah. for the OHL game because I didn't know how they were going to keep the ice after a beautiful day like this. 
uh, again, at the time of this recording in Southern Ontario, but you were there during the real frigid times. That's why you were not in the Sioux. Uh, give us a little sense of the Heritage Classic on the weekend. <laughs> um, I watched maybe three minutes of the game. I'm not going to lie. the Heritage Classic is for, isn't it? Yeah. It like awesome to be there. Great event. The NHL and um, Tim Hortons Field did a great job. They had a ton of stuff going on. Um, the whole process, just even getting in was great. I had no complaints, but um, we were at the end zone um, by the, by the big score clock. And we were right at the end. And if you've never been to Ivor Wynn or Tim Hortons field, it is essentially a wind tunnel on a good day. The wind comes off the mountain and just screams through the stadium. So, so with the wind, like it was so cold, I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm out of here. Like I had my face mask up to here and my toque pulled down to here, like eyebrows to bottom of glasses. And it, at, that part of my face was enough. I'm like, I'm no, I'm going up top. This is brutal. But then I had to deal with some customer stuff and was running around for the first two periods trying to get this guy in who couldn't get into the game because he lost his cell phone. And I felt bad for him. He drove all the way from Peterborough and couldn't get into the game. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel horrible for you. All the way down from Peterborough for two nights and you can't even get into the game. But I got him in for the third. So uh, it was it was fun. It was a great atmosphere. And I just love that Michael Ann Lauer, we talked about ownerships at the start here. We I can't remember who said it to us, but. How much do you think it cost Michael Landlauer to get the NHL to leave the ice there for another 24 hours so his team can play? Okay. <laughs> you want to talk about ownership and going the extra mile for your team? Oh, my goodness. I bet you that costs a fortune. That is a but, really good point. Another another guy. And, and look at that Bulldogs organization right now, right? The cycle has come around four years, and they're, they're going to be in the mix absolutely for an OHL championship this year. You hire the right people. Yeah. Steve Steos doing a great job running stuff there. There you but, go. Yeah. You're, you're going to hear the name of an owner uh, with our guest on this week's OHL Stories podcast. That was like a, a second father to the player who's about to be on. And it, it's a bit of a throwback in ownership because this guy uh, played about 30 plus years, well, no, 30-ish years ago now. And still, what I love about it is still top 10 scoring in OHL history with 420 OHL points. Love it. Highest scoring Kingston Frontenac of all time, London native, selected by the Montreal Canadiens in the second round, 44th overall in 92. We'll hear about that story and why he didn't like it from uh, one of the guys that I grew up watching. So this was a real thrill for me, former Kingston Frontenac, and I want to point out CHL Humanitarian of the Year in 92-93. So a good guy too. Here is Kelly Corpse. I think the, the place we have to start, Kelly, is with a couple of our previous podcast guests. Both David Ling and Steve Parson have been on this podcast before. Your teammates and line mates in Kingston. So now we get to hear it from you, and you're going to get the last word because they've already been on. Who made that line work? <laughs> you want to be honest? Yes. I think when uh, Parson came to Kingston from Owen Sound, um, we had a we had a garbage team. Like my first year, we I think we won. 14 or 15 games second year pretty well the same but we got parsed near the end of that year and right away they put up put us together um and he's the most underrated player in the league by far that i've ever played with like the guy just does everything he's he's not a guy who's going to pick up the puck and he's gonna people are gonna say oh that guy's amazing with the stick hand on that but talk about a guy that does absolutely everything and as soon as he got there me and him for some reason just clicked i mean i looked like i was about 10 years old and 
Ars looked like he was 45, right? So um, he was he was awesome. He was the guy I think that made our line go because you had Linger on the other side that you know he knew where the cameras were at all times. Um, so he was always putting on a show, and I was just trying to go up and down the middle, and they made me look good. So I was pretty lucky. I reached out to Steve before this interview and asked him what I should talk to you about. I can't read the text. I'm going to be honest. (laughs) He's got Uh, some beauties, I bet. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) he he did mention that you uh, routinely would head to the mall in search of some companionship, but couldn't close the deal unless Craig Reve or Steve were there. Is that true? Oh my God. Well, Pars looked like he was 45 years old. So I don't know what he's talking about. Like if he went to the mall, people would think he's probably a creeper going around there. Right. But now me and me and Rivs, uh, we hung out quite a bit. And uh, you know, when you only made 40 bucks a week, um, there wasn't much to do. It was either maybe see a movie on a Tuesday night because it was cheap or it was basically going hang out at the mall. We were pretty lucky too, because one of the billets uh, worked at the mall um, and they owned a pizza shop there. So for us to go there, at least we were eating for free at nighttime too. So um, yeah, so I'm not even going to get close to answering that question. If that's what you're asking, but you know, it's uh, that was, that was like the hangout. I'm not sure how it was in other cities, but there wasn't a heck of a lot to do during the wintertime in Kingston and going to the mall with a bunch of the guys was, I guess our night out. So you're a kid from London gets yep. drafted in the first round of the Kingston Frontenacs. And the first three games of your OHL career are all road games and they're all losses. What were you thinking in the early part of your OHL career? Well, I grew up watching the OHL in London all the time with the Knights and super excited to be there. But I mean, we start off, we play in Hamilton. So a huge arena, brand new team. And there's hardly anybody there. Um, We lose. I believe we go to Niagara Falls next smallest rink in North America and they're ginormous and they basically just kicked the crap out of us. And, and then we had the Kitchener and again, playing in one of the best rinks and we're zero and three. And I'm like, I went from a team in London where we won all Ontario's probably five or six years in a row to now playing for a team that we weren't even close to winning. Like we weren't even sniffing around to get some wins. So it was, it was tough, but, uh, um, I don't know. I guess it builds character, I guess, at the end of the day. But uh, it definitely, definitely wasn't fun, that's for sure. When you were watching those nights, who did you want to be like when you were younger? Well, when I was real young, there used to be a guy named Dave Simpson. You know, Craig Simpson that does uh, the Hockey Night in Canada. He's his brother. He was drafted by the Islanders, and uh, uh, that guy was unreal. I want to say that he won the OHL scoring title back in the, back in the early 80s. Um, but as I got older, there was uh, Trevor Dam was there, um, Brennan Shanahan. Um, and then before I got drafted, I used to love going and watching Louis DeBrus play. So um, I got the chance to play against him my first year, first and second year, I believe. And uh, But I used to love Louis because he just treated everybody good around the rink. So, you know, you felt like you're a part of it. So You would have been watching those nights players in the old ice house. Now they've got this palace called Budweiser gardens. What a difference in arenas there. You know what? It, I London's such a, I guess a winning city. Like where if you don't have a winning team, people don't come. And when we were at the ice house, what we call the London gardens back in the day, but when they had winning teams, it was the best atmosphere. Um, but then when they started losing, they had a hard time 
tracking people out there. There's no bus route out to the old ice garden. And, uh, um, and then when the hunters took over, they just, they just made it professional. They made it, uh, like a thing to do. Like you wanted to go downtown, you wanted to go watch them play. And, uh, um, they've really involved minor hockey here. And I think that's a smart way of doing it. Like when you start naming your, your minor hockey teams after the junior teams, you know, right there, you're getting, you know, 30, 40 teams that the kids are now involved and think they're London Knights and they're bringing their parents. So they've done everything the right way since they've been in London. But, um, I wouldn't, uh, the old ice house when, um, the games got pretty wicked there with Windsor and Kitchener. Um, they were pretty exciting to watch for sure. When you were playing for Kingston, what was it like essentially wearing a fishbowl with the size of that visor you used to wear? Uh, no, isn't that crazy? Like, uh, most things came down to the bottom of your chin, right? They were huge, but, uh, I had a huge head, so maybe that big visor didn't look as big on my head, but, uh, uh, it was, you know what? just coming from junior B wearing a full cage, that was kind of an adjustment too, right? You're, you're playing against guys that are six, five, 220 and you're coming in as five eleven, one sixty five, 165. And now you've got to, to protect your face a little bit too, cause you're so small, but yeah, it was, a, it was an adjustment. That's for sure. You talk about battles with Kitchener and Windsor. We get so many stories about playing in that old Windsor arena. What arenas stand out for you? Either you loved them or hated them. They were tough to play in. You had good nights there from your time in junior. I love playing in Windsor. That was probably, um, besides playing at home, obviously, but I mean, playing in Windsor, like, I think you have to be a real smart player to play there because things happen so quickly um, that if you have a good head on your shoulders and you can make plays quickly, you can put up some points there because they never usually had great teams, but the atmosphere there was, was nuts. I remember the one game we were there, they're giving out uh, like uh, blooper VHS tapes. And uh, so all the fans had them before the game. And um, I believe we won in overtime or we scored a late goal. So anyways, they, they pelted the ice with these VHS tapes. So we're all like kind of carrying with their hands over our heads, trying to get off and, I look back out nice and there's our trainer out there picking up all the VHS tapes because probably trying to make a couple bucks off each one of them. So, um, but that rink was amazing. I love that rink. Um, your goalie coach, your first year was Gump Worsley. Was he around a lot? <laughs> no. No? What do you think I am that? Holy moly. No, no he, he was the goalie coach. And I just wasn't sure if he was like around the team much because he was listed as the goalie coach. So I thought, I wonder if you got to meet him or anything. <laughs> I never met the Gumper, but oh, uh, okay. you're giving me because I'm old, but no, I no, <laughs> I don't remember the Gumper being around the rink ever. <laughs> okay. So, All right. Been, you know what? Probably could have helped our goalies out though. Some double packs <laughs> or something. <laughs> Always. Well, sticking with coaches, you, you got, had uh, both Allison's. What'd you, you think did. of them? You know what? Um, neither loved or hated him. I had uh, I had Dave for a couple of years in pro after I was done actually in Kingston as well. But when he came in, we went through we go through three coaches, I believe, in my first two years. And then Dave came in, and uh, he just he just brought an attitude with him. It was structure on the ice, so we had a game plan finally how to play on the ice. He brought in team toughness, which didn't mean that we had the toughest guys, but if somebody was in trouble, it was a pack mentality and we were all going. And uh, I tell you, that first year he came in, it, it made a ginormous difference just just from attitude alone. And then we picked up a couple of players. Um, but then uh, 
we had Mike Allison, who didn't say a lot, but obviously playing in the NHL, super smart guy, um, and just kind of polar opposites. Like Dave was in your face, um, challenged you, um, where Mike was more of, hey, try to do this, try to do that, but very intense at the same time. Um, and I say all these good things about Dave because me and him had our serious run-ins when I played junior. He, uh, at one point, I was leading the OHL in scoring, and he decided he was going to bench me for a couple games. And I sat in the stand as a healthy scratch and couldn't understand it at a young age and uh, never told me. I actually found out myself when we we're up in North Bay that I was sitting out. So it uh, kind of ruffled our relationship. But obviously, I thought enough of him as a coach that I went and played for him for a couple of years of pro as well. So when that happens to you at that age, Kelly, and, and it, the dynamic is obviously different when you're in junior than it would have been in pro, but how do you respond as a player when you get back out there? Is it like, well, now I have to prove my worth in this lineup. You know what? It's, I think about it a lot because at one point I'm like, at that time I'm mad and probably a little embarrassed too, to be honest. I was the captain of the team and uh, um, the way I found out, I'll, so I'll kind of go through it a little bit, but the way I found out is um, I called back home and I was told by my billet that, hey, you know, how you doing? I said, I'm doing okay. I'm getting ready for the game. And they're like, no, you're not playing tonight. There was already an article in the paper back in Kingston. So he lets, he comes up in the stand as I'm taping my stick and tells me I'm not playing. So he tells me, you're not playing because I think you can do better. And I don't think you're leading this team the way you can. I think you're getting by just on your talent and we need more than that here. So didn't agree with them at the time because I played a style where maybe it didn't look like it was working hard, but it actually was. But when you look back at it now, he was probably trying to do me a great service by thinking that I had more in the tank to give. But at, at being 18 years old, you're like, I don't really know if this guy knows what he's talking about. Right. When you're in the OHL, sometimes you think you're kind of a big dog and you know what, you're really not, you know? So, um, at the time, it was tough to deal with, but I love playing hockey. So once I was done those two games, I just came back and played the way I thought I could play. And uh, um, no one really talked about it in the dressing room. We kind of left it alone. And uh, But there was some friction there between me and Dave. And I, and I think that it probably went across to some of the guys, too, because they couldn't understand it. But um, I think Dave was trying to make the decision, honestly, to just to make the team better. So... I have nothing bad to say about the guy, but it's, it's a, it was a great learning experience, not just for hockey, but in life in general. So, When you were on the buses, did you uh, play cards or did you just sit at the very back and read? You know what? We started to play cards near the end. Like when uh, we started to take over as veterans and that, we did start to play some cards. Um, so there was a few of us. Me and Rive were always partners, and I hate to say it, but we – we won all the time because we had a couple of cheat codes. Um, so when we play Euchre and stuff, we would uh, sit across from each other and, and it was nothing serious, but just like little hand gestures, like folding the cards or putting them down, let us know that, yeah, we had something we didn't and no one caught on for two years. So that's how bright OHL guys are. So. I played against guys like you in high school and it's, I knew they were cheating. I knew they had something cooking. <laughs> hey, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right. So <laughs> You talked a moment ago about uh, team toughness. You played in an era, Kelly, where uh, bench bench clearing brawls, line brawls were still a far more regular occurrence. Certainly, we don't even see them, at least not bench clearing today. Uh, what, what was one of the bigger 
Donnie Brooks that you remember? Well, I got a couple. I know we, we had a real big one in Belleville. Um, Darren McCarty was on the team. Brent Gretzky was still on their team. So that was kind of that. I think it was my second year. And uh, I was facing off with, with uh, Brent. And uh, he goes, you guys aren't getting out of this game alive tonight. And I was like, what the heck, what the heck does that mean? You know what I mean? So anyways, the, the final buzzer goes and Brent's near his bench in Belleville. And all of a sudden he beelines for our bench and he jumps in our bench and he spears one of our guys. And all of a sudden I look over and their whole bench is skating towards our bench. And lucky for us, like McCarty was still in the penalty box. He got a penalty with about a minute and a half left. So he wasn't out of the penalty box, but that went on for, God, must have been 20 minutes. And then when we thought it was finally over, one of our guys, a little rat, he goes and suckers somebody, and there it goes again, just starts up. And, I mean, I'm not a fighter. If I drop my gloves, I'm pumping up the other team big time, right? So I'm like, dude, like, let's just get – we're almost out of here. Let's get out, right? But, um, yeah, it was, that was a good one. We had one at home one night against Oshawa, but it wasn't really a bench brawl. It was uh, one-on-one fights for – I want to say 10 or 11 fights. So the puck would drop, the two centermen would fight. Puck would drop, two centermen would fight. But it all started with Eric Lindros. He was skating wide under on one of our guys, and our guy absolutely demolished his stick on the back of his leg, but didn't even budge Lindros. So then another cheap shot on Lindros about a minute later, and then Rick Kornacki puts him on the bench, and then here we go. We line up, two guys fight, two guys fight. And it went on for about nine or ten fights, and then all of a sudden, you can see Big E just stand up on the bench and he's talking to Kronakia, basically saying, put me out. He goes on the ice and all the fights stop. So that was perfect. That guy was a monster. So you had uh, nobody wanted to fight him. I was still on the bench. Thank God the coach didn't throw me out there because uh, I wanted no part of that guy for sure. What was Brent Lindros like? One of the best teammates I ever had. Unreal guy. He, uh, he came in and you know what? He had all the reasons in the world to be cocky and to live off his brother's name. And uh, he was like total opposite. He came in and he just wanted to be one of the boys. He didn't want to talk about his brother. Um, he would, but he didn't want any part of that stuff. He, he wanted to play his own game and he had such a different style than his brother. Um, and I mean, like this is the kind of guy he is. So he gets drafted by the Islanders and he comes and before he leaves our team, he goes out and buys everybody a leather coat before he leaves. Like he could have left the week before that, but he went and waited until these coats came in to get to all the boys. So that's the kind of teammate he was. Just real good dude. Speaking of being drafted, second rounder to the Montreal Canadiens, not too shabby. What was draft day like? Sucked. I hated the Canadians. I hated the Canadians. I was a Leaf fan, so um, my agent came to my house. I played in the played in the under eighteen tournament, and uh, I did fairly well at the tournament. Um, but a different style that I played. I played more physical. I was kind of a third line guy to start the tournament, and it's kind of in the checking role. And uh, so when I got back from the tournament, my uh, agent comes over and he's like, uh, "Hope you can speak French." And I was like, "Please tell me it's Quebec." And he goes. No, Montreal, they love you. And I'm like, oh. So I'm thinking, okay, there's tons of other teams. And I went out with a few teams. And a few teams said, hey, if you're left in the first round at this pick, we'll take you. And they never did. And it got to Montreal and they took me. So I was happy. Don't get me on draft day. I was extremely happy. It was in the in the forum as well. Um, 
but being a Leaf fan, it takes a little bit to get used to. That's for sure. Okay, I just got to follow that up quick because I'm a huge Leafs fan too. Can you play goal? Can Can you call the Gumper? Is he still around? Because the team needs <laughs> us right now, Corpsey. Dude, the only way they can fix it, and I don't, they'll never do it. They have to trade. They have to trade one of the big four, and it's probably gonna be Nylander because his contract's a lot smaller. Um, and I don't think he's got a trade con or trade clause in his thing, but if they can pack a gym and somebody else and get a goalie and a defenseman, why wouldn't you do it? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, Campbell's a, Campbell's a, a great guy and looks like he's one of the best teammates, but he's a backup. He really is. You know, so. Was there ever a goalie in the O that you didn't score on or that had your number? <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. Um, trying to think. Not really. Like, no. no goalie standout in my head as being, oh, I can't believe we're playing this guy tonight. I mean, uh, there wasn't too many of those guys that, um, yeah, kind of stood out like as, you know, like a Carey Price kind of thing or whatever. There was nobody really like that. So, But here we can talk today and still, of course, the all-time points leader in Kingston Frontenac's history and top 10 all-time in the Ontario Hockey League. When you look back and then you hear those numbers, what does that mean to you today? Well, it means I was around the league for a long time. I don't you know what I mean, but um, no, you know what? It's I don't look back at personal accomplishments not that much. I really don't. I I uh, I'm super proud of it. Um, my wife and my kids are super proud of it. When they somebody asks them about it and they look it up, there. Um, not that it's embarrassing. Like, I don't want to say it's embarrassing because it's an accomplishment, but um, you just, I played because I loved it. Like I really loved to play hockey and I was fortunate enough that I had a little bit of talent and points came along with it, but it is kind of neat sometimes. Cause like now with my new with my job now, like guys, some guys don't know I played. And then when they find out I played, they look your name up and they're like, geez, you're pretty high in points up there. And I was like, yeah, I had some good years, but um, yeah, it's pretty neat. I mean, when you look at the list, like pretty neat that, you know, another London boy, Trevor Gallant's on there. We grew up basically two blocks away from each other. Um, and, uh, you know, it's good to see, like I, I used to watch Trevor, he's a year younger, so I used to watch his games before my games would play in London. Did you have a good uh, Trevor story? Oh, geez. Well, it's not a great story, but he's always he's always self-conscious about his size, right? And uh, I remember we were watching, we were, I think we were older. I think we must have been like 21, 22. And we were watching these little kids playing. I'm like, geez, those kids are small up there. And he's like, dude, I see that in the mirror every day. You know, like, so he's always self-conscious of his height, right? But uh, plus he looks like an, Ew- an Ewok, right? Like he's not all hairy all the time. And But uh, no, he's, you know what, such a good guy. And I'm glad he's doing well for himself in London with his his hockey camps and stuff. So I'm really glad to hear that. In 2010, you're back in Kingston where they raise your banner to the rafters. You're up there with some some big names. What does it mean to you to be at that ceremony? How are you feeling in that moment? You know, you talked about the points earlier. um, And I kind of brushed it off like it didn't mean a lot. But having my number go up is probably in hockey probably one of the greatest things to ever happen to me i mean my kids were on the ice with me my wife was on the ice with me um and not just for me to see it like i mean i'm talking 20 years from now 30 years from now my son might take his kids there and they get to see grandpa on the wall that's that's kind of what 
that's kind of what's neat to me. It's, uh, it's not that, you know, my name's on a wall, but it's, you know, that my family name kind of goes on a little bit. And, uh, you know, the corpse name, we don't have a huge family. So to have a little part of hockey somewhere and my uh, family be able to see it, it's pretty neat. Just to, to follow up on that, because we know him as well as we do, and his name's already come up. When, uh, when Popper and I are in Kingston, we always take a picture of Ling and corpse up there and send it to Parse saying, uh, what's going on here? Like, why is this missing? But that's that's the whole thing too, right? Like, it's it's funny how hockey or sports work. They always go by the numbers, right? They always go by a fan favorite or the numbers. They never see the guys that do the grunt work, you know? That's why I don't agree with all-star games because you're sending basically your top score. Meanwhile, you've got, let's say when I played, we had four or five guys in the team that would protect me and I don't score all those points unless those guys are there. I don't score, you know, a ton of shorthanded points unless I have Parse with me. You know, we don't score on the power play if we don't have a guy like Parse, right? Like it's, it's that's the one thing about hockey and, and sports in general that they forget about the guys that actually got you there too, right? So um, I'd love to have Parse up there. That'd be amazing. But don't tell him, I, hopefully he's not listening. Don't tell him I said that, so. Who were some of those guys that, you know, like the unheralded guys that you played with that you you're thinking about when you're saying that? Yeah. When I say that, like, it's obviously Craig Rebay is not uh, a name that nobody knows, but even coming on a junior, nobody really mentioned his name a lot. Um, but just a salt, he was a solid two way defenseman put up some numbers, but we had guys like uh, Jason Disher, who's now a, a police officer with the OPP up in Thunder Bay, like a guy that, Probably shouldn't have made our team, but found a way just through toughness and um, sticking up for his team and being a good teammate. Um, he had another guy like Trevor Doyle got, ended up getting drafted by Florida. He came to us. He could hardly skate. And I'm not saying that to be mean. He, he really couldn't. But the work he put in and um, what he did on the ice, and he was one of the toughest guys in the league. So um, you have another guy like Trent Call, who's been coaching in the OHL and stuff. Just a solid defenseman that didn't really get the opportunity in Owen Sound, but when he came to us, he had more of a role. You know, Greg Clancy was a Kingston boy. You know, we had a we had a face off, he'd win it. You know, we had to shut somebody down, he'd shut them down. So those are a few of the guys that you know they probably never get mentioned, but are guys that were huge parts of our team. You mentioned Disher and becoming a cop, which is something that you ended up doing as well. I was just in Sault Ste. Marie on the weekend, caught up with a former Ranger who's from the Sioux, just became a firefighter. Tend to gravitate to roles like that. Is it the camaraderie and the teamwork that goes into the job? I think so. I think that's what, when you first get in, that's what you're thinking after leaving a team for so many years and being in a dress room, you want to work with a unit. Um, unfortunately, Policing hasn't worked out that way for me. It's not a unit. It's not, uh, it's not what I thought it would be. Um, when I was in Toronto, I should, I should justify that. When I was in Toronto first as a police officer, our bosses and our unit, real tight, do anything for each other. And then uh, now being in Brantford, totally different. It's uh, not what I expected. It's not a team atmosphere, not a team environment. And... Uh, but, you know, policing so important in the world that you want to go out there and do the right things. But there's a lot of guys out there that shouldn't be police officers. Let's put it that way. It's a good way to put it. Um, 
were you a prankster when you played or did you leave all that stuff to linger no linger takes a lot of credit for it but me and craig Reve, we uh when we went on long bus trips we were the ones that kind of try to get a few things going um i do have a story about linger we were uh so when we used to go to uh um, North Bay, we'd always stay in the same hotel. I don't know. They probably stay there still. Who knows? Right. But they had a hot tub, but the hot tub always closed up at 10 o'clock and we ended up rolling into North Bay about nine 45. So off the bus, we go, we all race, get our bathing suits on. And usually a hot tub only seats about six or seven guys. Well, about 15 of us wanted to go in. So we all come racing down, get there at the same time. Well, isn't there a couple in there having a hot tub, right? So we all kind of squeeze into this hot tub. The couple was great. They're like, oh, come on in. Not a big deal. Oh, Linger's the last one in. And he obviously grabbed something. And he's in there. And he said, oh, my God, my stomach's not feeling good. You know, we're like, what are you doing? And they, and all of a sudden, you see this thing just drop up. Like, just look like a turd from Caddyshack, right? And poor couple go flying out. They don't, I don't think they get wet getting out. Like, they just jump straight out. And I'm sitting there going, just wanted to get a hot tub, dude. Just <laughs> a hot tub. You know, like he knows how to rack things pretty quickly. So, yeah. How much? Still, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry, please. Oh, like you guys probably heard these ones too, but we'd, we'd have uh, loonies or toonies or dollar bills, tie them to your feet and have people come up. They try to grab them. You keep walking. So they just keep trying to get like just little things like that. Right. So just uh, some time, some fun to pass the time and, uh, but yeah, those, I think that you have to do those things when you're in the road trip, right? You just, it, it seems to bring you together. So. Okay. So first of all, obviously it's you guys that are the reason that when we get to North Bay, the hot tub's off limits now, nobody's allowed to go to the hot tub. We know why. Thank you. Uh, how much do you still stay, stay in touch with any of the guys you played with? You know what? Not a lot. Um, probably the person I stay in touch with the most, and it's still not a lot is probably uh, Jason Desher. Just, um, when he comes down this way, because he's from Bell River, he always seems to call me. Um, but it's funny in hockey. Like, you just – everybody's from a different city, and everybody has families, and everybody went their different way to play pro, and uh, you kind of lose track. But when you get back together, it's like you just played together yesterday, right? Um, bump into Pars. So I did there for a few years when my oldest boy was playing hockey. I'd see him around the rink and stuff. But um, – I guess the I guess the other person I'd see the most is probably Joel Washcrock. So um, just because he played my first year with me and uh, our kids are around the same age. So, um, yeah, that's about it. That dude has not seen a salad bar in about 10 years. So, <laughs> no, you know what? That's OK. I'm glad you brought his name just came up this weekend, Corpsey. And he was he was saying the same thing himself. I don't know what I'm carrying now, except 50 pounds more and all of this. But, but Washer was the stud on the Conestoga College Condors OCAA team when I was doing my very first ever broadcasts of college no hockey. Yeah. Dude, you know what? I want to give that guy credit, though. My first year in Kingston, we didn't have a good uh, group of veterans. Didn't treat the rookies very good. It was kind of old school, but kind of they didn't take care of us on the ice either, which they're supposed to do. That was the one guy that – went out of his way and and at that time i bet you he weighed 180 pounds like he wasn't a big dude back then and he would stick up for all the young guys if he liked them or hated them he took care of you and off the ice took care of me all the time have nothing but good things to say about that guy but uh, yeah he's looking a lot different so am i 
I can't say anything. He'll, he'll say the same thing about me. So, but I want to get the first jab in before you get him on. So it's always nice to have the last word. Uh, I'm surprised we've made it a half an hour into this podcast talking with a former Frontenac without bringing up Larry Mavity. Yeah. I never had, uh, never had Mav as a coach. He was there the year before me. Um, and he came back, I want to say two years after I left, but had a lot of, uh, a lot of good things with Mav. Really good friends with uh, his wife, Brenda, who still works there at the rink. Um, but me and Mav, we, we played golf in the summer when I was in my junior career. And uh, that guy was, that guy would give you advice. He would, he would do anything for you. Even when we would go and watch um, a Belleville game uh, when we were in Kingston, he would bring us right into his coaching room and he'd talk to us like we were his, his kids, right? Even though we were on the opposite uh, side of the ice, he'd still treat you good. He wanted guys just to, be better. You know what I mean? Um, I have nothing but positive things to say about that guy. He was like with his big gruff voice. I remember we were playing uh, in a celebrity golf tournament one time. And uh, so I was in his group and we're teeing off. And uh, so as I tee off, I go back to my cart and I go and undo Mav's strap on his golf cart. And so Mav goes wheeling down the fairways, clubs go everywhere. We get down to the green and I'm kind of giggling, but I'm kind of scared at the same time. And uh, so I'm not sure. I don't play for Mav. It's really one of the first times I've met him. How's he going to react? Right? And he's like, corpse, eh? And he starts swearing at me with that gruff voice, right? We get to the next tee, and he's like, he goes, I love it. He goes, none of my players would ever do that to me. He goes, I probably won't trade for you, though. I was like, <laughs> right on. So pretty good, dude. You mentioned your uh, oldest son and playing hockey a moment ago. Uh, I know he's NCAA right now, but how did it feel for you to see him put on that France jersey, even just in a training camp? Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing because uh, um, whether it was France or anybody else, like my son is, uh, you know, a big defenseman that's not flashy um, and didn't think he was going to get drafted. So it was I, – I remember – I was at work and I was on my way home and uh, somebody texted me and goes, dude, your son just got picked. And I was like, no way. And then the next question was like, Where, where's he going? Like, who do you get picked by? And they told me kinks and I had some tears in my eyes. Right. And I walk in the door and he's waiting for me at the door and he just gives me a big hug and he had tears in his eyes. So it was, it was a good moment. Um, I'm, I've got pitch, probably more pictures of him in my basement just from that one day of him having the shirt on than I have of myself playing in that Jersey. So um, that's how proud I am of him. Like, I mean, he's had a hard route tearing his ACL and, uh, um, but you know what? He's playing D3 hockey now and super proud of him. Smart kid. And uh, you know, hockey lasts for so long and uh, getting an education lasts your lifetime. So he's doing very well. And uh, yeah, he's, my kids are the light, light of my life. So i I love everything they do. Did you ask if he could wear your number? Just pull it down. hundred percent. Imagine playing as a defenseman with the 88 guys would be running you. Well, maybe not nowadays, maybe not nowadays. They'd be okay with it. So, but back in our day, I was, well, when I had 88, I went into the thing. They said, okay, we've got uh, number three. We've got number five and we've got 88. And they're like, what position you play? They didn't know what position I played. I was like, <laughs> You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a first-round pick. You have no idea where I play. So, um, Because I was a defenseman before I went to junior. So 
the home of possession. So I said, oh, I'll take 88. Well, that was the time when they didn't get uh, – um, they didn't order new jerseys. So the guy that wore the jersey before me was Mark Major, who was like 6'5", 240 pounds. I'm 165, so that's why I started tucking my jersey in because I actually wore Mark Major's jersey. So it was, uh, it was nuts. I never wanted 88, that's for sure. I wanted nine, but they didn't. What on, earth, what on earth were you doing playing defense when you can put up 126 points in the all? You know what? I <laughs> – I, I don't know. I played, I played uh, defense all the way through minor hockey. And then about 10 games left of my junior B, they moved me up to forward. Um, and then I was drafted as a forward. But London actually was picking one pick after Kingston in the draft. And they were going to draft me as a defenseman. Um, so that's where I ended up being a forward. I should have been a defenseman. How is your gap control? Good? Dude, I don't know. I was always up in the offensive zone. So who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Was, was the transition tough for you? Uh, it was a little bit because uh, they put me at center ice. I think if they put me at wing to start, it might have been an easier transition. But, um, yeah, it was, it was tough because, I mean, playing defense right from minor Adam to pretty well through junior B, it, um, yeah, I was an offensive defenseman, but they just figured I was too small going into the playoffs, so they put me at, at forward. And, uh, um kind of stuck but I mean who knows you know if I played in London maybe Gary Agnew plays me as a defenseman for four years instead of a forward right so I don't know I don't know um when you were the captain of Fort Wayne do you ever regret the dye job you did to your hair uh, dude you saw that picture <laughs> that was awful well we did it for playoffs so come on but anyways it was I don't know why we never went black like everybody always wants to go blonde why doesn't we ever go black but um yeah i probably did it once a year anyways i sometimes i did it when i wasn't even playing so i can't blame it on the playoffs but wasn't a good look on me, that's for sure i was as pale as it gets anyways and then you throw the blonde hair on there and it's pretty translucent you so. didn't dye the flavor saver blonde that you were rocking back then too though that took me like 23 years to grow that wasn't going blonde because that wasn't coming off that was the only thing i could grow pretty well though okay speaking of those looks in one's hockey career I, I gotta know what's it like putting on the jersey of the wheeling nailers the first year i went there we were uh, the wheeling thunderbirds and then uh, uh the next year they switched it to the wheeling nailers because the seattle thunderbirds were complaining we stole their name or whatever so um but awesome you know what that place is a hockey hotbed it's amazing down there they uh they love their hockey and you would never think in a small town in west virginia that hockey would be that big but it's uh when I went there I was like what am I doing down here in the east coast but it was amazing they treated us so good um the hockey was was real good in the east coast at the time and uh yeah it was it was pretty neat and then when they switched over to the nailers it's pretty good logo I have one of the jerseys still at home so pretty neat what was it like overseas for you uh I loved it for the year I was there I loved it I started off in uh, Italy and uh, if you don't score goals over in those leagues, you don't play. And I was more of a playmaker. Um, so I ended up getting moved over to Germany, and I absolutely love Germany. You, you told a story about your favorite hockey memory, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't specific to anything you'd accomplished, like a laden division championship in the OHL, but it was watching your kid, and you were coaching, and, and he scored a game-winning goal late in the game while shorthanded. Why does yeah, that stand we, out to you? 
Uh, you know what? Everything to me in life is my kids, but um, it was it was weird. Like I was coaching the team. I got kicked out actually of the game. Not fighting for my team, actually fighting for the other other team. They were going to kick a kid out in the other team because um, he had the wrong strap on his helmet or something. So I argued with the ref and he kicked me out. So, anyways, I got kicked out and he calls two penalties on us and we're down five on three in overtime. And uh, my kid was playing defense and the kid uh, wound up to take a like a slapper and he wheeled right out in the lane, hit him in the chest, blocked it, and then went down on a breakaway and and sniped it, but. The reason I like it is because I have a pitcher at home with his hands in the air and just the pure enjoyment on his face and his teammates face when they had their arms up by far the greatest moment, because it just brought me back to what hockey should be. You know what I mean? Like we get to, I got to a level that eventually it wasn't fun anymore. I was going to the rink. I love being at the rink with the trainers and doing all that stuff, but I didn't like all the stuff kind of behind the scenes and where it was going. It wasn't always the best players that were moving on. It was who you knew, who your agent was, different things like that. And I just had enough. And to see that, um, you know what? It just brought back some joy into the game for me again. You talk about that, you know, the pictures that you have downstairs. What are some of the other stuff that you're proud of that's down on your wall? Uh, I've got uh, I got jerseys. I love frame jerseys, but I just got some of my team jerseys and stuff. Um I've got a little boy with autism. Um, well, he's not little now. He's a big boy now. He's 6'5", but he's, uh, he's almost 20. And, uh, but I've got some of his certificates from school downstairs. Um, next year, he's going to Fanshawe. Um, besides, you know, we never thought he'd talk. You know what I mean? Didn't think that he would socialize. And, you know, now he's graduated high school and he's going to Fanshawe next year. So um, got some of his stuff. Um, I've had a lot of old sticks too. Like uh, from every year I've played, I've kept a stick and I put them on the wall. So those are the kind of things I have down there. What does uh, what does a son like Ty teach you as a parent? <laughs> you know what? we, Me and my wife talk about this a lot where we don't know what kind of people we'd be without them. You know, like everything, not that it's a first, um, but he gets up so happy every morning and he makes everybody around him so much happier. So I don't even know how to explain it. Like it's, I, I couldn't imagine not having a kid like him, you know? So um, I don't know. He's, he's just the best. He's the best. When you look back at your long career, what do you take away from it? Like, what did it, what did it do to you? What did it mean to you? Uh, there's different sides to it at different times. Um Hockey was fun for a long time for me, and uh, and then it wasn't. Um, but now I'm coaching, and I love it. Like, I absolutely love coaching. It's – I wish I would have done it younger. I still think I could coach at a junior level, um, junior A, if I really wanted to, but with my job and that, I can't. But, you know, hockey's taken me on a huge roller coaster from people that you've trusted um, that let you down to – people you never expected to meet that you met that were good people that helped you along the way to, um, you know, just different places that you got to see, but um, hockey's still a great game and I don't like watching it as much as I used to like watching the old style hockey, but it's still a very good game and it uh, gives kids an opportunity to do something where 
you know, they meet friends, they get to do different things. And um, yeah, but I, I mean, it's kind of, that's a really tough question to ask because of, you know, it's such a roller coaster where you, it's a love hate kind of thing with it, you know? Speaking you, of old, sorry, sorry ahead, Mike, do you, do you still play at all? Like you're coaching, not. but you actually play? I haven't played probably in 12 to 15 years. I just, yeah. it's not even, um, it's not even the skill level or the level of the hockey. I just don't enjoy it. I really don't. When you talked about old time hockey, I, I couldn't help but think of the city of Kingston. Obviously yeah. the names that come out of there, right? Don Cherry, Doug Gilmore. What mm-hmm. was it like playing there? What, what was it like as a junior hockey market when you played for the Fronts? It was amazing. I mean, Kingston's a, I know it's changed quite a bit now, but it used to be a real blue collar kind of town. And at the old M center, that's all the kind of people you'd get. There was no boxes. It was smelled like popcorn when you walked in, you know, it was dingy. I think it had the worst lighting in the league. Uh, The people packed it and they loved the hockey, Um, you know, and they knew their hockey too. It wasn't like they were just blue collar people that didn't know anything about hockey. They knew their hockey. So if you didn't give them an effort, you would hear it, you know? And uh, I don't know. I loved it there. I loved being there. It was uh, probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I think if I would have stayed home in London, I might've been a different person, Uh, made me grow up a lot. So, um, but you, you throw Doug Gilmore's name out there and Don Cherry. I got to know Doug quite a bit when I played there. We skated in the summers unreal guy just treated everybody like they were NHL players. Like you would, if you saw Doug Gilmore walk down the street, you didn't know what he looked like. You'd never know he's an NHL player. Like he's just that good of a guy. Right. Um, same with Kirk Muller. Kirk Muller was the same when he was there. Like when he skated in the summers, just treat everybody with class and uh, just a, a good man. When you talk uh, about being, being away, sorry, Pulpy, but no, go ahead. when you talk about being away from home and helping you grow up. And I think about that often with, with kids in the league, you also mentioned Ren Blair, who was the owner, as being like a second father to you. What did he mean to you as a father figure when you were in Kingston? You know what? He was a hardcore hockey guy, and he didn't like everybody. Like, he uh, he treated everybody differently. I know they stay in hockey. Everybody gets treated the same. When they go somewhere, they don't. And for some reason, he liked me. Um, and he just treated me like gold. Like, anytime he saw me, he gave me a hug and – he, uh, I can give you a story what I think it kind of might sum it up, but so my dad came to the rink, my last year in junior, I guess I'd be my 19 year old year. And, uh, as he walked in the rink, a bunch of people came up to him and said, Hey, it was, it was great having Kelly here. You know, we're going to miss him, blah, blah, blah. So I guess the coach had decided he was going to trade me, Craig Rive, Mark Lamoth to Detroit. They were making a Memorial cup run. And, uh, I guess Ren came in about 10 minutes before the trade deadline and heard this and uh, ended up kiboshing it. He goes, you can trade everybody, but you're not trading Kelly. So we just had a different kind of relationship, I guess. So That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pars likes to tell the story in his typical storytelling ways about <laughs> a night with Gord Downey and Dan Aykroyd and Kelly Corps, me and Chris Grant, and he does this, he does this. But I'm just curious, I'm just curious if uh, you remember that night or if this is just another tall tale that I hear every Christmas. <laughs> it's it's true. I want to say that it happened at stages, um, if I'm correct, because that's the only time I remember Gord Downey and Aykroyd and all of us being there. But um, 
we didn't stay. I didn't stay very long. I don't think Pars did either. There was some different stuff that was kicking around there that we didn't need to be around. So we, uh, but they all <laughs> there, and uh, we got the heck out pretty quick. So you mentioned the old M Center before. Yeah. What was it like? I mean, when you're back there, then watching Colt in what is now the Leon's arena, you must be thinking, boy, what the hell? I played here in the wrong era or something. <laughs> you know what? It's, I've gone to that rink a couple of times, the new one, and it's a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong, but there's zero atmosphere there. Like zero. Like I'm with you. Yeah. You're at the old M center and it's rocking. It's rocking. I think even if you filled that rink, I still don't think the atmosphere would be there. Like this, no people standing. There's no people. I just, I like the old rinks. I like the old odd. You know what I mean? I like the old Windsor rink. You know, North Bay's got a nice old rink, Sudbury. Like that's the way hockey, junior hockey should be played. So it, that's the way it is in almost every rink now. I feel like I getting yeah. people to stand for a goal is like crazy now. So true. Yeah. Yes. It, it's very odd. It's crazy. Like it's just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't like we sat up when we went to Larry Mavity's uh, memorial there, they had the night and uh, like you got one of the best players in CHL play in there, Shane Wright. And they can't even fill hot. Like it was only half full to start with. And then even when they scored a goal, like you could hear still the skate skating on the ice because it wasn't loud in there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't like it. I wish it would have kept a lot of the old barns. I think they'd actually be better financially if they kept a lot of the old barns as well, but it is what it is, I guess. In your second to last year, I think it was, you made it to the third round. Yep. Lost to Peterborough in a extremely high scoring playoff matchup. What do you remember from that matchup with Peterborough? That we were outmatched. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, um, we went through the first two series with uh, North Bay and Oshawa, and talk about fun. Like it was, you know, going to Oshawa was full. We had our fans on buses going down there. It was amazing, and had a good run. And then we got Peterborough, and kind of we were the top two teams in the league at that time. We're Peterborough finished first. We finished second. Um, and you know what? It's Chris Pronger, man. He's the guy that makes a difference. It's you take Chris Pronger off that team, and we probably win that series. I know they had great players, um, so I don't want to slight anybody. But when you got a guy that's six six at the time, he only weighed probably about one hundred seventy five pounds. He wasn't mean at this time yet either. But the puck movement, and he played forty minutes a game. There's there's just no better defenseman that's played in the OHL ever. Like, well, maybe Bobby Orr. We can say that, but. Chris Pronger's the the next best thing, and he's he's yeah he, like he won the series, and it's not from his points or anything that he got. It was just the way he controlled the ice. I think it was the next year after that East final or that conference final loss to Peterborough that you uh, you would have won the the Leyden. Was it a sense of unfinished business coming back that next season? Um, we ended up so no, the next year we ended up like having a mediocre year. It okay. was the year after that that we ended up winning the Leyden. But, yeah, the next year we – I think I want to say we finished fourth maybe. Um, did not play well. Um, just a lot of – lost some quality guys from the year before for over ages and that. And then, uh, like I said before with the Allison brothers, you either love them or hate them. And it started to get to a point where there was some love and hate from more than a couple players and high – like – high profile players 
and the team started to take a little bit of a slide. So um, definitely had a good enough team to, to go further that year, but it, uh, yeah, wasn't great. Wasn't a great year. You, t- you talked about before how you just don't like playing the game as much anymore. What do you like about coaching? I love the strategy of it. I love, uh, I love seeing people get better. I've coached minor hockey for a bunch of years. So um, I love taking a group at the start of the year and then seeing the progression and seeing them get the enjoyment out of it. Um, I did coach AAA for a while. I'm now just coaching single A, double A in Woodstock. And I like it a lot more. I find that uh, some kids get left behind when they don't play AAA hockey and uh, miss out on some coaching or miss out on some opportunities. And I love doing it here in town. Um, this will probably be my last year of coaching. My, I just got, just picked up a junior C gig that I started in February. They ended up finding their coaches and asked if I could step in. And I'm absolutely loving it. Like it's uh, um, just the opportunity to work with uh, young men and uh, kids that aren't going anywhere in hockey, but still like to play. So again, bringing some of that enjoyment back into the game and, um, yeah, I love it. Uh, Where is that, Kelly? Uh, just up in uh, Norwich. Yeah, just outside so. of Woodstock. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know where it is. You're from like Lisswell area, right? Palmerston, yeah. Yeah. Palmerston. Palmerston. My buddy yeah. played on played on Norwich. I played against Norwich. Oh, did it? Yeah. Who was who was the biggest rival for you guys as the fronts when you were there? Um, it switched from year to year. Um Belleville was always a rival. You always wanted to win that game, but it was funny. Like as much of a rivalry as that was, we we're kind of friends too. Like <laughs> you know what I mean. But um, Oshawa, to me, Oshawa was was the team. Like we always seemed to have good teams at the same time, and uh, we always thought that the league favored them. So we always wanted to go in there with our style of team and and try to take it to them. They had a real tough team. We had a real tough team. So. Uh, before Chris asks his inevitable final question, it just made me think when you mentioned Belleville, how much does the league miss having the, a team in Belleville? I think it's huge. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you think where they're situated, they're rival with Kingston, they're rival with Oshawa, they're close enough to Peterborough. You know, they've they've lost out on a lot. Like, I don't, I don't try to understand what really happened there, but you think the league would step in and that would be a priority more than having maybe teams in the States, but um, only personal opinion on that. So I always do have the last question. <laughs> I don't know why it's just, and now we just make it a thing, That's right. um, but I'm going to, I'm going to leave it up to you, Corpsey. I have heard plenty of stories about Steve Parson over my life, but I'm sure there's one that you have that I haven't heard. And I'm wondering I don't care if it's not safe for this podcast. You're not going to hurt him. <laughs> you know what? I always talk about him like being like an old man, right? Like the first time I saw him, he drives this brown Nova or whatever it was into the parking lot. And this guy gets out of the car. Honest to God, when he gets out of the car, like he looks like he's 45. Does he not? Like even if you look at pictures back of him when he was like 18, 19, he looked like he was 40 years old, right? So and he played that persona. Like, I don't really have a story about him, but like, even when he'd sit on the bus, like he'd take his track pants on, he'd have his old man underwear on there and skinny legs and he'd have him up on the thing and be, hey, corpsey, what's going on? And I'd be like, Jesus, put some pants on first, you know, like just, I don't have a real story about him, but he just had like this old man legs, old man hair, but he was such a good dude. So I have nothing that, real. That is a bang on 
impression of Steve Parson. <laughs> what, that, wow. Corpsey, we still try to get him. We run into him at the neighborhood bar. We try to get him to put his pants on. Like, that's what the oh. guys like still. <laughs> you're not on all parks anymore is what you're saying then, right? <laughs> exactly. Never has been. There you go. There Were you, you ever go. kicked off a bus and made to walk or no? I was No, never, uh, never kicked off a bus. But they got me a couple times. I know the uh, – you ever <laughs> – my rookie year, we're in North Bay, and you know, the veterans, one of the guys injured is like, hey, Corpse, you can go grab me a bucket of steam there from the, the Zamboni driver. And I'm like, yeah, no problem, man. I'll go get it for you. I must have been in there for like 25 minutes, right? I come back, and I'm like, boys, there's no bucket of steam. And they're like, Corpsey, think about what you're saying here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, bucket of steam, right on. You know, but sitting there for 30 minutes in, the, in that rink trying to look for it, but never kicked off the bus. You deserve that one. You're a good teammate. You just yeah. need a good teammate. Yeah. I'm a glue guy, right? So, <laughs> yeah, 126 <laughs> points, glue guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Those are lucky. It's, it's great to have some laughs with you and really appreciate you making the time for us on this podcast. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it and good luck. Okay, guys. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.